So welcome to Wild and Theology. My name is Will and this is my co-host. Hi, I'm Kaylee. <laughs> um, and today what we're going to be talking about is how real are the psychedelic insights that you receive on the psychedelic trip. So I guess to, to begin off, it's like, <laughs> so I guess to begin off, um, when we think of the power of the psychedelic experience, often it is in terms of the emotional or spiritual healing that comes with it, mm -hmm. right? In my own experience with psychedelics, I've had my entire view of myself completely changed. And it's like, I, I think it's really safe to say that like, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast if it wasn't for a trip I had last August. You know what I mean? Like it, that trip completely changed my life to such an extent that like I, I changed what I wanted to do with my career, mm -hmm. you know, and I was quite happy about like my, my trajectory becoming a neuroscientist at the time. And now I want to be a psychotherapist who, who uses psychedelics as a tool because of that. Uh, so like I've said in the past that um, doing psychedelics is like basically sitting down with like the most compatible psychotherapist that knows everything about you. And you're in the most receptive state you could possibly be in, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, the issue, however, lies in the last sentence, which is you are the most in the most receptive state that you could possibly be in, right? So mm -hmm. this ultimately raises the question, how real are the insights that you get? Mm -hmm. If you're in the state where you're just like accepting everything that's being told to you about you or about reality, whatever it is, mm -hmm. how do you actually know that they are real, mm -hmm. right? And it's, so it's like, what do we define as real? What mm -hmm. does that even mean? Hmm. It's not to say that you're necessarily accepting every single thing that you think on psychedelics, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not always like that. It's not like you're just blind to the things coming at you. That's definitely true, yeah. Like, I, I feel very contemplative in the psychedelic state and also like, I feel very sound as well. Like I don't, I don't, it's interesting that we can get, we're like high on drugs, but you can feel like, I mean, I can feel at times more clear than ever. And there's still the knowledge that I've taken a drug and that's why I'm experiencing some of the things I yeah, am. Yeah. But when there's that level of acknowledgement and you're still like having a direct experience of something that's like yeah. profound, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. think, I think, I, I do think that there is like, there is a balance of, of, there can be a balance of being open, mm -hmm. but not necessarily just like, oh my God, this is the truth now. Like you just take everything as it's coming at you. You know, I think we can still be, um, what's the word? Discerning. Discerning. Yeah. 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 I definitely agree with that. And, you know, I can, I can look at examples for myself where I'll, like when we did uh, acid, I think especially, I was very contemplative and very like philosophical, but I wasn't accepting everything that I was thinking about. I'd like go on a certain loop and I'd be like, no, that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's also, there is the possibility of giving something meaning that doesn't necessarily have the real meaning that you think it does. Mm -hmm. Right. And so again, we get back to that question of like, what do you mean real? Like what, mm -hmm. it, what, like if meaning is generated from within, 
mm-hmm. then how can you really say that any meaning is real or not real, right? Yeah. And so I guess when I think for the purposes of therapeutic use, mm-hmm. I think it's often the case that the more important definition is how helpful these insights are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a simple example is if during the experience you feel intense feelings of gratitude for yourself and moving forward, you take the time to give yourself gratitude and self-love and actually believe those feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can be, we, we talk about like the, the idea of affirmations and self-improvement. And sometimes you'll be like, you'll write down like, I love myself, but it's like, you don't actually believe that if you're mm-hmm. super anxious and depressed and like self-hating, it's like, that can almost become like a, another thing to bludgeon yourself with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, for I sure. I know, I know. Um, I, yes. So, like, if you've experienced, like, gratitude or self-love on a psychedelic experience, mm-hmm. you really believe that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so that's, like, a very helpful insight. And you can even say, well, like, is that self-love and gratitude real? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's no more real than the self-hatred or depression that you're experiencing beforehand. So it's like, it doesn't really matter if it was real. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful. Yeah. You know what I mean? And on the other end of it, it's like, if you have a, like a sort of like a bad trip that takes you into some sort of like demonic realm where you're made to feel super guilty for everything you've done. Like, I didn't drink water today yet. You're going to hell, you horrible person. It's like... <laughs> And then you carry on with that. It's like, uh, who's to say that you wouldn't carry that same sense of self-loathing after a really bad trip mm-hmm. that you would with gratitude? You know what I mean? Like, I remember a trip that I had where I, I, like, I saw the devil, like, standing over me, like, full hallucination, like this, this half goat, half, or I guess it was just like a, a bipedal goat. Like, it was like the, uh, the Baphomet, I think it is. Okay. That style of devil. And I saw this thing standing over me and I was just like, afterward, I just felt horrible and, um was like questioning my sanity. And it was honestly a very traumatic experience for me, mm-hmm. right? And so in that instance, that wasn't a very helpful insight to know that, okay, the devil is standing over me. I feel like I'm going insane. I heard like this horrible laughter throughout the trip that like never went away. It was just a really bad trip, right? And so I go away from that trip. I mean, on the positive, not wanting to do drugs after that. Uh, so that, made, that was one of the reasons that I decided to quit smoking weed. So there was positives, I guess, with that, but it's like, mm-hmm. I didn't walk away from that with like something beneficial from the trip itself. I walked away like being afraid that I had gone insane that like, oh, I was the one who did the drug too much or did the, too much of the drug and now I'm insane for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in that sense, it's like, uh, it's no more real than not real, you know, like who's to say, but it's definitely not very helpful, mm-hmm. you know? and. I think in that instance, it's very clear what the difference is, because however simplistic that distinction can become, which distinction can be, so however, so however simplistic this distinction between a really good trip that makes you feel self uh, love and gratitude or a really bad trip that makes you question your sanity and be afraid that like you literally have gone insane now. Mm. There are fuzzier situations um, where you can choose between a how helpful an insight is and how closely we want that insight to correspond to the real world, 
whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And again, we're getting to these circular arguments where it's like, what is real? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, for example, uh, in the book, The Fellowship of the River by Dr. Joe Tefer, Thank you so much for recommending that to me. It was a great book. You, it was? Yeah, I finished it uh, a couple days ago. Oh my God. Dude, I, I crush audiobooks. That's insane. What speed listening. do you watch it at? Just single speed. Holy shit. That's yeah. incredible. It's like, uh, I think I still have like an hour to go and I've been mm-hmm. doing it for a while. Well, I think there's a, there's a happy balance that might be in the middle because I crush audiobooks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like the, I have a, I have like a reading that I do where I sit down and take notes and that's mm-hmm. the reading that I'm actually like really taking in and understanding. Mm-hmm. But then I have the other readings like audiobooks, for example, where I'm just kind of listening to it, half entertainment, have to learn something. Yeah. And I do retain enough yeah. to be able to talk about it. Like I use it in this essay, for example. Yeah. Um, but uh, do I really know it mm-hmm. as much as I would if I sat down with it? For sure. And actually this book, like, I was listening to it last night while I was at the gym. I also have been listening to it while I do other things, like clean my house and stuff. Yeah. But I've gone back multiple times to chapters and like listened to it over again because I'm like, that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, I need to buy this book because I need like the words right in front of me. I need to hold it because yeah. it's so valuable. I find yeah. that this is one of the one of the better books I've read about psychedelics. Yeah. In terms of like showing both sides from like a scientific and a spiritual perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like I, I don't know him well enough to really say exactly what he believes, but it seems pretty clear from the book that he does believe in the, uh, the, this animistic worldview that the, the shamans have. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he's also a, a, an educated medical doctor, mm-hmm. right? So it's like you said, he, he really is not simply educated about both worlds, but he mm-hmm. literally has his foot in both worlds and is like, I'm agreeing with both of these sides. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, he integrates it. He wants to be that exactly. bridge between yeah. the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in his book, um, he brings up several instances of people uncovering repressed memories yes. uh, during these like shamanic ayahuasca ceremonies, right? And in one such story, uh, a man had visions of himself and his cousins being abused sexually by his aunt, right? And he was actually able to confirm with his cousins that this event actually did happen. Like they also remembered this. He had just repressed it. Mm-hmm. And so this means that there are some real repressed memories that can be uncovered, Right. It seems clear, Mm -hmm. at least in this case, that there was a a case of a real repressed memory. Mm -hmm. But I think it also raises the concern for what's called an iatrogenic or iatrogenic or treatment induced uh, complication, such as a false memory. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is a contentious issue in psychology. Mm -hmm. This is not like a simple story whatsoever, Mm -hmm. but we'll get into this deeper but I think so far, all we can really say about this is like, it's just not simple. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to say about that before we move on? Um, yeah. Actually, I, I, like, I, I didn't, <laughs> there was something I was going to say about the thing before, and then, and then we, it totally evolved, okay. but that's okay. You can, can say it. it. You can still say it. I can still say it. Okay. When you were talking about your bad trip versus your good trip, mm. now you said that that was a clear distinction based on you, based on the usefulness of those trips. I don't think it is a clear, I don't think it ever is a clear distinction. Yeah. And you know, like, I know there's a lot of talk about like bad trips. Sometimes it's just like the one you need and it actually is like a good capital G good thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true either. I think there can be things that are just objectively, objectively bad and not useful. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it's, it's, it comes back to like your 
level of relationship with the experience because like you said there were you said there were, was some useful things like you stopped smoking weed you took some things from that and in that way it was useful even though mm -hmm. it was like a, a harrowing experience but i think it, it like when we're talking especially if we're talking about psychotherapy and using that to help people mm -hmm. no doubt there are going to be some hard things that come up mm -hmm. but with somebody there to guide you yes. you never know like that could have been something else that could have been something more if you took it to that level if mm -hmm. you if you like looked deeper into it and found found the meaning yeah right because they're like yeah. like you said like the kind of things we're talking about is like it, it's really hard like is there any objective meaning or is it just like what you make of it in yeah. the end so like something bad could be great or could it be nothing same thing is like you can have a good trip and just like like you like to say see pretty colors mm. and get nothing out of it like people in high school do mushrooms and they're probably just like yeah this is cool but like if they really let themselves go there if they and especially like the background knowledge you have of it too it's like mm. yeah it's like like your knowledge of what these things can provide you mm-hmm shapes your experience of them so if you're a kid in high school that has never um never heard of i don't know who's a fucking drug person i don't know like <laughs> if you've like i don't know if, if you've Aubrey never or if you, yeah or... if you've never like listened to anybody else talk about their psychedelic experiences from a spiritual perspective or if yeah. you've never seen like yeah. alex gray's art and you just like have no idea what it could be mm -hmm. then it's just going to be like a fun drug to try yeah, absolutely. I think you raised multiple points that are really good. And I, the first one is um, like there was something good to be taken from that trip, mm -hmm. right? And I think the first thing I say is already answered by something else you say. Mm -hmm. But basically, the issue was that I was scared away from doing drugs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, you were scared away from doing drugs. That seems like such like a positive thing, right? But it's like, it, it was it was in a negative sense. Depends which drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it, it was in a negative sense where it's just like, oh, I have to get away from these things because I'm afraid that they're going to fuck me up, which is like, again, that seems so good. But I feel like the best mushroom trips guide you to a place of emotional healing towards something beautiful. Mm -hmm. Whereas that trip, I was running away from something horrifying. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I feel like when you have a certain experience that just horrifies you and that's all it does for you, that's not as, you know, good, whatever that means, than a trip that provides emotional healing, even if both of those experiences um, were the exact same. Mm -hmm. It's just, again, it's how you interpret it. Right. Yeah. And I think in that situation, I just wasn't educated enough. I wasn't experienced enough or old enough to be able to actually turn that horrifying experience into something that was uh, positively motivating, mm -hmm. something moving towards something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you already mentioned working with somebody to integrate those emotions would have allowed me to turn that into something um, better. Mm -hmm. But I guess my point is the fact that number one, you might be using a psychedelic with on your own and so if you do have an experience that could generate really negative emotions like that, that you don't know how to deal with, that could fuck you up. Mm -hmm. And if For you sure. are working with somebody, I mean, you could have such a harrowing experience that and not be equipped to deal with it, that even if you're working with a therapist, you just quit going to therapy. 
Yes. Right. Sure. Then it's like, how do you force that person to go to therapy to be like, no, you're going to sit here. We're going to integrate this shit. <laughs> or do you like, you can't do that. I think pretty sure that's like a little bit unethical to force somebody into therapy. Yeah. But now this person has to deal with this very harrowing experience, not equipped to deal with it. And now they even have a negative perception of therapy as a whole, making yeah. them less likely to go to therapy in the future. Yeah. And are you talking about with psychedelics in particular? I mean, with psychedelics, yeah, but yeah. I, I think that I think that really qualifies for any therapeutic situation. Like, if yeah. you are in, you know, normal therapy, and some memory comes up that you weren't prepared to deal with, that could make you not want to go back and deal with those things. It's exactly. easier to just run. That's very true. So and that's definitely not an argument against psychedelics. Uh huh. Yeah, and actually, something we talked about in our last podcast about psycho um, or about somatic experiencing and mm. peter levine's suggestion about taking these things very slow and i think that really applies yeah. to psychedelics as well as like titrating the experience so that it's like little by little you're opening up into this new space and new way of thinking because mm -hmm. yeah digging up old memories it can be re-traumatizing yes and it can yeah. really scare people even if it's not old memories a bad trip I can't even really speak to this because I don't think I've ever had a bad trip yet. Maybe I will one day. <laughs> I hope not. But it can be traumatizing. Yeah. And yeah, people can be like, I'm never touching that again. Mm. Ever. And that's like, that, like when I was writing this essay, I basically was thinking like, oh my God, I'm being so negative about psychedelics. We're <laughs> going to listen to this and be like, I'm never doing this shit. But like, this isn't a case against psychedelics. No. We've already kind of spoken to the fact that there are ways around it. There's the titration method. There's mm -hmm. taking it slow. There's um, all these things you can do to make sure that you're still using this tool effectively. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that we have to be very conscious of how this tool can be used ineffectively. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's really what this essay is about mm -hmm. is learning to use these things effectively. And so in a, in a paper from uh, Timmerman et al 2020, uh, <laughs> they discuss <laughs> Uh, this exact issue and what they call like the uh, the double-edged sword of psychedelic revelations. Mm -hmm. So while these revelations may be what drive the benefits of the experience, they also introduce the possibility of psychological distress and modifications to worldview and beliefs of the patients. These insights and the sometimes intense feelings of their truth persist for months or even longer after the actual psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. And so... Again, this just speaks to the fact that the very experiences that are driving the benefits are the very experiences that can go so wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a risky situation. And because of that risk, we need to be prepared to deal with what can go wrong when it can go wrong. Yes. Whether it's by ourselves or with a therapist. Mm -hmm. Right. So while reading this paper and another paper from Johnson 2020... Um, I kind of identified three or they identified and I kind of, yeah, three <laughs> broad categories of insights <laughs> that one might receive or interpret, right? So we talk about like these revelations. So it's like, what are exactly these revelations like that the we kind keep of, talking about? Like the categories of the yeah. type of like the most revelations fall under these kind of yeah. broad um, things. There, there could be more for sure so it's not an exhaustive list but i think these three are um the most obvious ones and i mean if you can understand it from this i would hope you can extrapolate or elaborate i don't know 
move on to something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the first one is biographical events, mm. right? So th- these are the revelations that one might have about past memories, either repressed or even a reinterpretation of a memory they already had, mm-hmm. right? So one of the uh, hypothetical examples that Timmerman and colleagues gave was a, uh, a woman who has like a scar on her hand, she does the psychedelic and suddenly she has this vision of her mother putting a cigarette out on her hand, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how she got that scar. Mm-hmm. It's like, what does that woman do with that? Like, mm-hmm. does she go to her mother and confront her? What if it isn't true? What if it is true? That's a huge thing for someone to have to deal with in either case. Because even if it isn't true, this person may have experienced this vision as more real than real life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is where this this trickiness of giving meaning to something that isn't real becomes an issue, because how can we really verify that that event even took place, especially if the if the mother has passed away? Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can try to approach this experience as like a symbolic vision that's not actually real, but it's like, but what symbolic meaning can you extract from a normal experience let alone a vision of your mother putting a cigarette out on you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that is really difficult. I guess it's really hard. It's yeah, it's really hard to know what to do with these things that can come up because yeah, we learn in psych how even just like harmless memories can mm-hmm. be just false. We can we're we're our memories are not nearly as good as we think they are, and it's it's super it's overwhelming sometimes to learn about that and be like, what do I even remember? Cause I'm one of those people that thinks like, I have such a good memory. Like I can remember down to the details of like what yeah, I was yeah. wearing the day that this happened and what the person I was with was wearing and what mm. song was playing and all these different things. And I'm like, I have such a good memory, but yeah. do I, do yeah. I have a good memory? And especially it's, it's even cloudier for repressed things. Mm-hmm. And then obviously all of a sudden you're on psychedelics and you, you can feel things like you can re-experience past things. Like it can feel as real as if it's happening right then in that moment. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, exactly. What do you do with that? And I don't, it's not an easy answer, but I, I feel like, I feel like this is one of those reasons why psychedelics are such a hard thing to fit into our current paradigm, mm-hmm. especially in the Western world where we do value knowing things and things being right and like this is the way it is yeah and measuring things and quantifying things and it's like this is true this is false this is real Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe we need to free ourselves of like knowing that like in that way you know yeah like not and not even that like we have to say oh it's symbolic like that's not the alternative it's not one or the other either it's symbolic or it's absolutely true it can just be like that was the experience then mm-hmm. like whether or not it happened when you were five years old or whether it happened to you right now on a psychedelic trip and that is just what it is it's just something that you experienced mm-hmm. and maybe that's it and maybe we don't have to go looking for the the absolute like did this really happen because like what's the value of that either (laughs) i don't know like obviously if really horrible things happened and you want to like punish that person under the law Mm -hmm. that's 
another thing. But why is that the ultimate way of knowing? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the standard we hold to every single thing that we experience. Yeah. It's like on psychedelics or not. Because like, I don't know. Even when you think about dreams you had, like dreams can be so real. Mm-hmm. Like I've experienced the death of my parents in dreams and woken up crying and shaking. <laughs> and it's like, that really happened. As far as my conscious experience is concerned, that really happened. Like mm-hmm. I experienced that. And maybe when I'm awake and in this state of consciousness, my parents are still alive and I'm very happy about that. Yeah. But I don't know, as far as my experience, which is the only thing that I can confirm to be true in a lot of ways, yeah. it happened. Like I experienced that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I can't, I can't disagree with anything you've said. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I think this is really touching on something that I don't want to cover right yet mm-hmm. or right now. Not right yet. I don't know. Is that right proper? Right, that, feels, that feels gross. I feel like that's a very like <laughs> hick thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a part of this podcast. Um, you won't believe tuned. what happens next. <laughs> we're going to touch on that. So um, Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. It's just all we'll say so far is that is a really tricky situation. Mm-hmm. So... Moving on from that, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the next one is the, the facilitator-induced mm. revelation. Mm-hmm. And so this is when the facilitator, um, be them scientist, clinician, or shaman, introduces certain beliefs and interpretations that color the patient's experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, shamanic ceremonies are a perfect example of that. They often talk about meeting spirits, both good and evil, before and after the experiences, mm-hmm. right? So if you're in this state of heightened suggestibility, talking with a group of people uh, in post-trip integration circles that are confirming the existence of such spirits, this could change your view of reality in a way that you aren't fully conscious of. Mm -hmm. This brings up issues of conformed consent, which transcends the truth value of such spirits' existence, Mm -hmm. right? If you're having these beliefs about spirits kind of, I don't want to say forced upon you, but kind of suggested, suggested to you, to you in, yeah. a, in, in a state where you're very suggestible, you're not really consenting to those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And you may, again, walk away believing these experiences to be real experiences when you wouldn't have consented to that beforehand. Mm-hmm. That's right? very true. I think, especially when we're talking about like shamanism and mm-hmm. these traditional healing ways, it's hard to, I, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush because there are multiple different traditions. Yeah. And a lot of them maybe don't talk about spirits necessarily or don't impose that worldview on them. Yeah, like, you know, exactly. I, I don't think it's all like you go to do ayahuasca and they're just like spirits. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, and like, this is something that I want to know more about and do a lot more research on and like yeah. know the different traditions because like we brought up Jotifer and his he he works in the traditional shipibo way mm-hmm. and a lot of what he talks about is like he doesn't really use the word spirit that often and like i mean i'm just reading or just listen to his book i don't know about the other shamans but also it's like he's trained in like western medicine as well mm-hmm. so he's like bringing a level of knowledge into it so maybe his lang- his his code is different right so for sure and that's what that's what it comes down to. It's a difference in code, but like 
maybe where he doesn't use those words, somebody else would. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I didn't from just that book. And like I said, I don't know a lot. And I, this is something I want to explore deeper because I don't want to paint everybody like all traditional shamanism with one brush. Yeah. But like I, it, it didn't seem like he was saying spirits for or sure. like or in like putting people on that like even yeah he talks about one woman who was very skeptical coming into it and, mm-hmm. and it was just like an energy thing mm-hmm. mm, i don't know but yeah i think another another example that would be uh, what was i gonna say one second let me think say for example stanislav groff who is like worked on like thousands of patients with lsd yeah and how many of his patients experienced like re-experienced their birth and like how how would they all have like a similar experience and it's like Mm. obviously he talks to them it's like there's like that level of um i mean and i don't even know how much he says like beforehand and stuff but like in michael pollan's book which i haven't read in a long time but i remember he talks about this is like the whoever like the practitioner is or the guide, all of their patients will have a similar experience, obviously because they're informed, they're informed by the person who is guiding them. Yeah. And it's impossible not to like contaminate the experience a little bit because you're kind of preparing some, someone for something that they have no idea what's going to happen. And even if you say like, Oh, you might have a mystical experience. I think even just saying that, increases the chances that someone's going to have yep. a mystical experience mm-hmm. so yeah it is it's very sensitive for sure and this is like where we get back into the distinction of helpful and real mm-hmm. is that like like i said before like these mystical experiences are the really the thing that's driving the therapeutic benefits mm-hmm. right and so that is very helpful but is it really real yeah and like and, i don't know even like in our episode picking up the paintbrush that mm-hmm. mushroom trip that i was talking about yeah there were certain aspects of that mushroom trip that i didn't even realize in the moment but later on i was reading a few books or i was looking back on a few books that i had been reading in the month prior to that trip and i was like wow this sounds a lot like my trip <laughs> <laughs> and i was just like i was kind of realizing how influenced i was how influenced my insights were from what i had been reading currently you know my knowledge of like the ideas that i was exploring in terms of like reality psychedelics and then i go and trip and i'm like whoa it like confirms what i already thought exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and that's really what like timmerman um pointed out is the fact that like not only do these revelations seem very true in some cases Mm -hmm. but they also have the quality of being unmediated Mm -hmm. right like a lot of the time like they they mentioned the uh, what people will say is like it came from a place of deep knowing Mm -hmm. right of like something from inside or something that that came from on high or whatever the code you use to explain that the point is is that it's not unmediated Mm -hmm. it is very clearly influenced by all the influences that you've had before Mm -hmm. When we talk about Stanislav Grof, for example, number one, they may have read his books where he talked about that. He may have mentioned it. He may be acting in a way that makes people have that experience. Yeah. And then they interpret it as, you know, reliving the birth trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I haven't read his book, so I don't know exactly what that looks like, but it's like, (laughs) (laughs) we really don't know how much his method triggers that experience, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, I remember one of the studies that they mentioned in like research methods or something, a class we took, um, is that like they had the exact same experiment done at the same time of day, same time of the year, same number of rats, et cetera, but they got completely different results. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's just like, what were they doing differently that caused them to have different results? Mm-hmm. And so this like idea of unmediated revelations that are just very come from a place of deep knowing and are just true. That's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. We can be influenced by things and not realize we're being influenced by them. I remember this one time, uh, a friend of mine who's a musician, he was, um, he made this riff and he was like really like excited to show me this riff. And I started listening to it. I'm like, this is a Led Zeppelin riff. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's like the crypto amnesia thing where like he thought he came up with that riff, but it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You just heard that riff mm-hmm. whenever you heard it and came up with it again. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's very tricky to say like how much of the experiences people have are induced by the facilitator or not. Yeah. Right. And so like another example would be, um, you know, in a, in a clinical space where, you know, in an attempt to create a spiritual space, um, the clinician would include a statue of the Buddha, mm-hmm. right? And during a psychedelic session, let's say like a Muslim, for example, they might see a vision of the Buddha talking to them. And um, even without a vision as intense as that, mm-hmm. right? Just an experience of deep meaning could color that individual's experience and even alter their belief system, mm-hmm. however mildly, that they wouldn't have otherwise consented to, mm-hmm. right? Even if they begin to give this Buddha statue more meaning and then that like motivates them to start reading Buddhist texts, mm-hmm. that was something that was that they didn't consent to, right? That was wow. something that like just happened. And you could say, well, if they go to Buddhism and they find um, meaning in Buddhism and it all works out positively, it's like, oh, well, okay, okay, great. But the only reason that they did that was because the clinician included the Buddha statue against their consent. Mm-hmm. You know That's what I mean? Interesting. I love that, that you're is. talking about it in terms of the word consent. Mm-hmm. And what's coming up for me, whether this, I mean, it's related, I guess, but like yeah. being born into a religion. And when you're <laughs> young, you do not consent to that belief. Like I was just, I grew yeah. up not in like a very intense Catholic world, but still, like I remember you do the 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 sacraments i think they're called i don't know but um <laughs> what a great catholic you are. Oh my yeah God. i don't even remember but you you do like reconciliation when you're in grade four you do confirmation when you're in grade seven and confirmation is like where you now that you're in grade seven and you have all this world knowledge and you're ready to make this decision you go and you like say like i'm like you're confirming yourself into the church basically yeah. And you're saying that like, yeah. yeah, I grew up in this church and I've been going to the school. And I'm still living at home with my family and I don't know anything, but I am choosing this for myself now. Yeah. And like, you don't know shit, first of all. All you know is what you've just like grown up around and stuff. Mm. So it's like, Which is just the religion. Yeah. And that, you, like, exactly. And yeah. you, don't, you didn't consent to that. You just mm-hmm. like, it was just imposed on you and mm-hmm. you had nothing, you knew no better. And I feel that's like one thing that our society is coming to grips with is the fact that we're realizing, like our society has become conscious of the fact that it is like, we live in a society. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's like, become aware of itself. We become aware of that. And so like we're dealing with this idea of, and especially with like the, the modern conversation on consent in a sexual sense, mm-hmm. 
is that we're coming, becoming conscious of the fact that we have a bunch of societal rules, some very oppressive, that none of us really consented to, mm-hmm. right? And so we're having kind of a crisis of meaning in the fact that like we don't know what to give meaning to when we see all these things imposed upon us. Mm-hmm. And even if these things are very good, they're still being imposed upon us. And so that like discolors mm-hmm. the value of these things or like our, our interpretation of these things. For sure. Yeah. Like what I want to say, first of all, is that like, I don't want to paint clinicians or especially shamans as inherently like brainwashing or malicious or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know you touched on that as well. It's like any shaman who's worth their salt would never impose their beliefs on another human being. Mm -hmm. Right. They would never like make you say, no, if you're going to be doing an ayahuasca ceremony, at our place, you're going to believe in these fucking spirits. None of them are going to say that. No. It's just something that we need to be aware of as a community of healers, be them shamans or uh, clinicians. We need to be aware of how these things can happen and to work to help create a safe container for the people we seek to heal. Mm -hmm. Right. And it has to be one that is based on empiricism. Right. And I say empiricism in the sense that like, if we can validate it scientifically, then it's something that we can provide somebody as like a real thing because, and I can see the look on your face that you're thinking about that. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? Like mm-hmm. why empiricism? Okay. Because, this is like my, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding of empiricism is just like through observation, mm-hmm. through direct experience, basically. No. And that's like, that's the only thing that kind of can be confirmed. So that's, that's a, a tricky conversation because empiricism, as I understand it, is anything that you can confirm um, with your direct experience. Yeah. Like if, if you can't confirm God in your direct experience, for example, then why believe in God? Mm-hmm. Right. But the way that we use empiricism today in a scientific context is, empir- is something that you can confirm um, intersubjectively in the sense that both of both you and I can agree that this setup is set up the way it is. Mm-hmm. We have two computers here. We have two mics. Mm-hmm. We can agree on that between the two of us. Yeah. Right. And so when I say empiricism, what I mean is anything that we can confirm intersubjectively. And again, that becomes very tricky. Like that becomes very, very tricky. And so like, I'm never offering any of these suggestions. And, and I don't think the people who wrote these papers that I, that I researched this on are saying that this is necessarily something that is going to be easy. It's just like we have to agree on a certain standard because, again, we can impose beliefs on somebody, even if it's just them giving a little bit more meaning to something that makes them go on on a path that they wouldn't have otherwise consented to. That is enough that we have to be aware of what we say and what we do um, and how how that impacts the people we're trying to heal, Mm -hmm. you know, for sure. I, I mean, yeah, there's a difference in like deciding as, as we're trying to integrate psychedelics into the world, into like the, into this, I don't know, into the world, Mm -hmm. into the Western world, basically. And into that kind of like medical care for people, like it is important to have standards and understand the impacts of all these different things. Cause that's what research methods taught teaches us about is like how every single variable in the environment can influence your effect that you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, psychedelics aren't one of those things that can or should be put to that level of control. Because I, I've also 
I remember, I, I think this was back in the day, this is not recent, but people looked at what a, a lot of scientists, a lot of people back in like the 50s and 60s when they were doing research on psychedelics were like, wow, this is amazing. It has all these amazing benefits to people, et cetera, et cetera. And then people that were like hardcore scientists were like, mm, I don't know. Are you controlling for this, 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 and this? How about let's put people in a white room and like tell them to like not do anything, like give absolutely nothing to like suggest anything to them. Yeah. And let's see what happens then. They're like yeah, yeah, yeah. very like, mm-hmm, we're science. We're going to see what this really is. And they all had awful experiences. Mm-hmm. It was fucking brutal. Could you imagine tripping in like <laughs> a white room when nobody, like they say, nobody talked to them. No, no researchers go in there. Nobody talked to them. Nobody hold their hand. Nobody tell them it's going to be okay, that you're going to get through this. Nobody help them interpret anything because yeah. God forbid you suggest something. Yeah. And then they all have an awful time. And obviously there's no healing benefit to that. Mm-hmm. So like you know we can't really there's like there's no way you have to suggest a little bit you have to provide like a comfy room and like like calming music and stuff but all of those things like are variables that kind of create noise around the cause and effect that we are so used to having that we like having because that 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 cleanness is what makes us feel safe and makes us feel like we know something, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Because without that, it's you can't really say what was the thing that actually caused the mystical experience. What is the actual thing that helped this person in the end? Mm-hmm. And I think in psychedelics, it really isn't psychedelics that are helping anyone. I don't, I mean, obviously they're, they're a tool and that's the thing. It's like yeah. they're, them themselves are not healing you. Mm-hmm. It's you, you're healing yourself with, on, with this like, new state of consciousness that you're achieving but and that's why people don't just like it's called psychedelic assisted psychotherapy yeah because it's like Mm -hmm. it's an experience that is just that it's assisted in so many ways that you you can't isolate you just can't isolate the cause and effect cleanly yeah i i agree completely and Mm -hmm. actually it's it's i'm glad that you brought that up because in uh this class i'm currently taking um I'm taking this like two classes with the same professor. So I like confuse which one. And they're so <laughs> close. Like one of these two classes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it was learning uh, the fundamental, the evolutionary fundamentals of learning, I think. And uh, the, the other one is the fundamentals of animal behavior. <laughs> so it's like, how different are these classes really? Um, but uh, he was talking about like a, a paper they made on just reviewing the use of rats in a controlled setting, right? And he, like the, the, the professor was talking about how um, if we put these rats in cages, usually with, you know, sometimes at the very least with another, only one other member of their species, these closed little containers with just enough food and just enough water to survive, some bedding for like enrichment, you know what I mean? Oh, um, a little rat bed. Yeah. That's yeah, so yeah. Cute. It's like, how can we really say that we understand these rats when we do studies on them Mm -hmm. right it's like throw a human in a dark room with one other human you know from the age of infants right and then study them in 20 years Mm -hmm. and be like oh we understand adult human behavior now it's like no you don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you understand really fucked up behavior Mm -hmm. and that's what you're that's what you're really learning from these rat studies is you're learning you're learning about mentally ill rats. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's like, this is the issue that science is really needing to face. And this is, you know, 
if we talk about spa dynamics, <laughs> did you know it was coming? I, can't, I couldn't wait. Yeah. I was, on, um, I was on the edge of my seat just waiting. So when stage you... orange of spa dynamics is really like the, the stage where uh, modernist philosophy came into being. So like science, science materialism, um, reductionism, all of these things came into being and obviously really great tools. Like I'm definitely not saying that like we should reject all science, but when you try to like reduce behavior, for example, down to like one thing, one, one thing in a super controlled environment, you're not really understanding that behavior. Mm -hmm. You're understanding that one thing in a super controlled environment mm -hmm. and behavior is far more complex than this overly reductionistic um, model that a lot of science has used for how many decades at this point, right? And so we as a society and as a scientific community need to realize that maybe hyper-controlled experiments for certain things just aren't all they're made out to be, mm -hmm. right? For certain things, I'm sure there could be benefits to having this. Like, for example, one the professor came up with, um, if you're trying to understand like the actions of single neurons, mm -hmm. then understanding a single neuron from a rat that was raised in a certain environment isn't really a bad thing necessarily. We can get into like the ethics of like um, animal rights and stuff like that. But at least for the understanding of that single neuron in a rat's brain, it doesn't necessarily follow that we need them to be in this naturalistic setting, for example. For sure. Right. A naturalistic meaning like what they would find in the wild. Yeah. Um, but then maybe you could make the case that that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And we need to be open to that. But the point is, is that like, I don't know where I was going with that. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I just woke up from we, the dream. We <laughs> just need to like, we, my, my point is that we just need to like understand how <clears throat> we just need to understand like how complex these things really are mm -hmm. and and trying to reduce it down to one thing is just not going to cut it no it's it's an interaction of things it's the whole system yeah and all the parts yes it's not just the system and it's not just the parts yeah it is how the parts yeah affect the system and Ex how the system yeah. affects the parts exactly. yeah it's crazy yeah. and i mean yeah i think there's just that doesn't mean there's nothing we can do obviously like especially when you're talking about having things like buddha statues or things that already have a lot of meaning in them on a societal level like you mm -hmm. see that symbol and you know what it means you know what it suggests mm -hmm. something like that can maybe be avoided yeah you know and certain like there's all kinds of ways that we can exert some control without completely like removing the the like making it far too <laughs> sterile yeah exactly yeah, yeah. like completely taking all of that out of the experience yeah because that's you kind of need those things like you need a safe space you mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm not gonna say like calming music and like blankets and coziness should be avoided in a in a in a therapeutic setting just because it might it might make them feel oh that might make them feel like they're like safe and held or i don't know it might suggest something to you know like, yeah yeah there's only so much control we can have and i exactly. think we just need to surrender to yeah that. <laughs> i really i really think that's like my overall point too. yeah yeah um and like for example like one of the things that um uh both papers actually mentioned is that 
you know, if we were to include something that's personally meaningful to that person, mm-hmm. right? So we use the example of a Muslim and it's like if you maybe ask them to bring Islamic art that really speaks to them or even the Quran itself, um, this could help this person connect with their spiritual beliefs in a more honoring way. Yeah, right? for sure. Exactly. And I think that would be a great method is mm-hmm. like bring something in that has a meaning for you. Brings And like yeah. even whenever I'm tripping or something, especially if I'm not in my own home, I'm like, okay, I want to bring things that make me feel safe and, or, or that just inspire me. Like, mm-hmm. like last time when we did acid and I was holding on to this clear quartz rock the whole time. And like, it's just a rock that I bought. That was cool. You know, I don't know how much I buy into crystal healing power, but it's just like, yeah. it's a pretty object. And, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for me, it throughout holding it throughout the trip, it like took on this meaning of, I don't know. It was just like a solid thing that I could come back to. And it, mm-hmm. it was so beautiful. And it, I just, I remember just holding it and looking at it and it, it took on this greater meaning. Yeah. And it felt pure in that because there's nothing really, there was nothing else associated with it before going into that. Mm-hmm. Besides maybe like people think crystals have healing powers. Maybe that influenced me. Maybe that's why I bought it in the first place. Yeah. Despite not consciously like, saying like, I believe in this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. Well, I, 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 my mom is really into crystals and she sent me this They're like, minerals. <laughs> <laughs> just minerals. Um, she sent me this, uh, Jade, I believe uh-huh. it's like, it looks like Jade. I don't know if it's actually is it Jade, green? but yeah. It's okay. Green. Maybe. Um, but, uh, it's basically like, I, I searched up the meaning and it's, I think it's something to do with like self-improvement or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I used it during my morning journaling where I just like set this crystal up. And if nothing else, it just gets me in the mindset of thinking about self-improvement and turns it into a more of like a ritualistic space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that serves as kind of like an anchor into getting your mind into that space every time you do it. And yeah. so like if that is just the benefit, if there's no like some kind of magical power to it, okay, that's also fine. Right. Again, personally, I don't believe that crystals have magical powers of any kind. Yeah. But then at at the same time, it's like, if this thing is allowing you to be anchored in this ritualistic space, I mean, that's pretty magical to me. For sure. It's just, it it does. It it has as much meaning as you believe it has. Mm -hmm. Because it's just the placebo effect. It's just like, if I think that crystal is the thing that makes me meditate more powerfully or something, or like whatever you put on it then it it has that meaning because it's just about that intention it's and you can give that to anything you Mm -hmm. can give it to any object any space if you say like this is the space that Mm -hmm. i will meditate in and you like set that aside then like you're it's just a cue that will get you there and if it helps then it helps yeah it's but it's but it's you doing that right yeah it's not it's Mm -hmm. not the thing it's the meaning in the intention that you put on it Exactly. And this is where we really get into that. Again, the difference between helpful and real, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's like, we're going to get to it. <laughs> it's, it's all coming to a conclusion, hopefully satisfying. Um, so yeah, like the last thing I'll say about um, the facilitator induced thing is, again, we need to make a safe container for people to explore their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Right. And we live in a society that really aims to allow people religious freedom, or at least we try to. 
Um, and so we want to give people who do have religious beliefs the opportunity to practice their religious beliefs using psychedelics. Because some of these religious experiences or metaphysical experiences, like I said, can be the most powerful mm -hmm. and the most like the most therapeutic. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really gets us into the last, was there something you wanted to say? Wait, what did you just say? You said these re religious or spiritual or mystical things. This is like some of the greatest benefit to healing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But they seem to drive. <laughs> yeah. They seem to what? Drive. Drive. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I mean, I think I can't cite an exact paper, but I have, I do think. We only do empiricism here, so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is a relationship between like, cause they actually developed a scale to mm -hmm. detect mysticism. Like yeah. it, they use it now like, mm -hmm. uh, it, like the scale of like, did you have a mystical experience? That's a weird, but kind of interesting that that exists. Yeah. Um, and there was a relationship between the greater the mystical experience, the greater the healing after or the exactly. more long-term the effects. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. really interesting. And I, I think that's really the value of this stage orange scientific materialism, mm -hmm. empiricism kind of thing, is that these are very valuable tools and we never want to sacrifice these tools mm -hmm. ever. No. Like now yeah. that we know science, like we're going to use science hopefully for the rest of human existence and, and beyond when we evolve into something else, um, which we only know about because of science, right? So it's like... Yeah. The, the point of spa dynamics is not to say like, oh, that's a lower stage. So you guys stay where you are. It's like, no, no, yeah. we transcend and include. Mm -hmm. we're, we're taking these with us and making them more advanced. Mm -hmm. Science was not as, science today is not as advanced as it was, or is, is sorry, science today is more advanced than it was a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. So we agree that science can change. And so this mm -hmm. idea of saying like, oh, stage or science is lower is not to say that science is lower. It's to say that there are higher, better forms of science. And mm -hmm. so that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, it will evolve with us. Yeah. And we should bring these tools that we have learned with us. Yeah, without yeah. making them less accurate. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. But that gets us into the topic of metaphysics, which is the, the last of the three categories that they, they talked about. These metaphysical revelations... Um, however positive and profound, don't speak to the veracity of these experiences. And so an example that I can give from my own direct experience is that while on acid, I have literally experienced myself become the universe. Mm -hmm. Not only did I experience myself as all things and all things as myself, people, inanimate objects, but I also experienced myself as having created everything around me for my own entertainment. Mm -hmm. So, so during this experience, I was fully convinced of this. And even now I still kind of believe this to be true. We are all of the universe. And so in a sense, we are all one. I do not experience this in the same way that I experienced it during the trip. Mm -hmm. The feeling of separateness has once again descended upon me. <laughs> and yet I still have the belief of being united. Mm -hmm. that's interesting mm -hmm. mm, yeah this is it's wow <laughs> yeah it's hard it's it's crazy because i've i've had similar experiences maybe um 
I don't know if I've experienced myself as an inanimate object yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> I hope I'll get there. But yeah, yeah. I definitely, like, that was the picking up the paintbrush thing. There was, like, the I am the most, uh, this consciousness that mm. is basically just the force of the universe is just creative. Like, everything that I focus my attention and my consciousness on creates that thing. Yeah. And that thing doesn't exist mm. until my consciousness creates it. And we're all just, like, co-creating the universe together. And I, I had that experience where I was like, things don't exist unless my attention is on it. Mm-hmm. And like, by placing it there, it creates it. So that I was, I was having the direct experience of like, nothing is objective. It's just consciousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's crazy. And yeah. like, the, like, and it was kind of like, like, like I was saying about the book being, being, influenced by the books i was reading mm-hmm. i was reading this book by joe dr joe dispenza and he talks about like the quantum field and how everything exists as a possibility mm. and by focusing on it we take the energy and make it into matter we make it real with our by focusing on it with our attention basically mm-hmm. so that's just to say that like nothing is almost it's everything is just potential and it's just like energy and then we focus on it and that makes it real. And I was having that direct experience, even for things that are like, like, I don't know, I guess as far as I'm concerned in my normal waking consciousness, I entertain that possibility in terms of like potential outcomes with like people and like my personal development. But it, 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 in my normal waking consciousness, it, it follows the laws of the universe. It's like there is objective things. There are tables and there are chairs yeah. and there are walls. And the things that I have control over are like interpersonal outcomes, I guess, and the energy mm-hmm. I put towards them. But when I was on mushrooms, I was thinking like I was watching a spot on my wall and I was like, it wasn't a spot on my wall. It was like floating in space and it was rotating and it wasn't just like there was no objectivity anymore and everything yeah. was just like just not as it seems you know like the, yeah, all yeah, the laws yeah. of the universe were breaking down and i don't know what do i do with that is that true like what can i even take from that what is yeah, the yeah. value from that you know i don't know yeah but how helpful things. or real is it yeah yeah what um, is that and it's like how do we know that reality actually works like this? Yeah, right? we don't. I mean, we don't mm-hmm. because all we know is the human reality because yeah. everything we experience is filtered through our nervous systems. So we only experience as much as our nervous systems allow us to experience. Like something that fucked me up this semester in sensation and perception, learning about vision and how yeah. humans have three cones, which are the receptors in our eyes that allow us to see every single color that we can perceive mm-hmm. and we have three of them and those three cones create all of the combinations yeah but there are mantis shrimp <laughs> <laughs> and this is like my new favorite animal yeah it's the mantis shrimp they have 16 cones yeah. like what the fuck can I'm, they even see i'm pretty sure they can like turn some of them on or off what the fuck yeah and like octopi I, I love thinking about this. It's just like, what do other animals experience? Like we are so limited in what we can experience as a human mm-hmm. that this is just one reality. Yeah. I mean, we have a really, really good ability to interpret our experience. Yeah. But our experience itself is limited. It's just an experience. It's just yeah. one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it's like, 
whatever arguments or experiences you can bring to bear mm -hmm. on materialism or idealism um, from a philosophical sense, it's like they say nothing about how real it actually is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like humanity is rife with examples of people believing things with incredible intensity uh, and sometimes very convincing evidence only to have their belief system shattered by some new disconfirming evidence, mm -hmm. right? And like a perfect example is with um, Newton, right? He was able to chart the movement of objects from like a cue ball to the fucking planets in our solar system, mm -hmm. right? And then Einstein comes along and show that not only was Newton wrong about the movement of incredibly fast objects, mm -hmm. but that the passage of time was relative and that actual space itself is like curved oh. rather than just like a massive, or I guess an immense, box of nothing that's just mm -hmm. full of all these things right mm -hmm. it's actually like curves right mm -hmm. this is why i love interstellar that's fucked <laughs> <laughs> it's just like <laughs> that completely shattered everything and it's like all this like confirming in your direct experience with empiricism intersubjectively it's like we really can't confirm with our direct experience as just a human that space is curved mm -hmm. right it took massive leaps forward in technology relative to just being some like um uh tribal society to be able to like understand how space is curved mm -hmm. and understand that there is a speed of light that is constant and time and space are the things that are relative right that's huge mm -hmm. right and so we can't uh, and so like my point is that however real my perceptions in this example of myself uh, being separate or united, maybe, I cannot know for sure whether these perceptions have anything true to say about the nature of reality, mm -hmm. right? Am I intrinsically connected to the universe, an indivisible part whose perceived disability is a complete fiction generated by a brain designed by evolution to fuck with wild abandon? <laughs> or... <laughs> Am I a separate entity existing within, yet separate to an outside material universe? How could I possibly prove either of these things? Mm. Right? Like, what do you mean? And when you say I, do you mean like your physical human body or do you mean your consciousness? Assuming that your consciousness is separate from your physical human, physical human body. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I mean. Like, that's the thing. Like, how can we really say which yeah. is true? Yeah. Also, yeah, no, you go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. Um, the word intersubjective. Yeah. I just feel like that's, what's the word? Um, that in itself seems contradictory. Yeah. Like, if it's subjective, how can like, what is intersubjectivity? Like, how, how and how can you confirm that? How can we confirm? Like, we can say that we agree on something, but I don't mm. know what you're seeing. And that's like, um, as I understand it, the correspondence definition of truth mm -hmm. is that like if if our measurements of this mic stand are correspond to the actual micro mic stand that correspond that truth corresponds with something in the outside world mm -hmm. and then you can come along and you can measure this mic stand too and get all the dimensions of this thing mm -hmm. and we can both agree on those things mm -hmm. right so that's two subjectivities inter verifying them in a consistent fashion yeah right and so you could say well okay that just means that there's something within consciousness that is these things but how can you really say it's either 
It's either or because mm -hmm. you can say like, oh, it makes more sense. And this is what I mean by like whatever arguments you can bring to bear. You can say that it is more empirical to say that it is just consciousness. It's just like we live in, a, in like an idealistic universe where it's just consciousness. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you really don't know. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, oh, there's there's nothing out there. It's just all consciousness that there's only in there. Mm -hmm. But if you take anybody in this entire universe and put them in the in there that's in the middle of a sun, they're going to burn to death. Right. And so it's like, how can we prove that that sun is just in there or out there? Right. If it works for everyone's in there. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we mean by intersubjectively verifiable. It's like if whatever is in there is intersubjectively intersubjectively verifiable enough that it works for all cases then who's to say if it's out there or in there mm -hmm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. you know that does make sense i just remember like it was actually a high school math teacher who first got me to think about things like this <laughs> and he was just like he was just Sounds talking like a dope teacher he, he was he was okay <laughs> I mean, it was pre-calc. I didn't love him, but I do remember he said he like he pointed to something that was the color blue. He's like, both of us call that blue, but I don't know what you're experiencing is the same blue as that I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, whoa, my mind is blown right now. Yeah. Like you just, you can't know. Like we both agree that something is painful. Yeah. Like say you touch something hot and we're like, yeah. ow, that hurts. But I don't know how your pain feels. Is there, is. <laughs> and there are people with um, diseases and genetic uh, differences mm -hmm. that they might not experience pain. Yeah. That's Some so people weird. experience pain as extremely pleasurable. So it's like. Yeah. There's, it's, wow. I don't know if there's anybody who'd experience a, a hot stove as pleasurable, but. I think you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I'm open to it. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Oh my know. god. Actually, no, never mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for another time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, that we really come down to the point that like, just because we've experienced something mm -hmm. in our direct experience, does not make it true. Especially when we're talking true? about experience. That's just it. That's just, that, that's my point. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, how do we know? Uh -huh. And so when we talk about experiences such as the psychedelic in a therapeutic context, many of these experiences transcend language, mm -hmm. the ability to put them into words. Mm -hmm. What do we do with these? There, when we have experiences where there is no code mm -hmm. to properly represent them, right? That's the thing. And that's, I don't know. It's something that I, I feel passionately about when we talk about psychedelics is like, mm -hmm. we keep referencing this acid trip. We're going to have to talk about it one of these days. <laughs> but next episode, I think yeah, we should talk about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. There was this point where I was, I was like, it was, we were, we were getting high mm -hmm. and I was really working on letting go, which was a difficult thing being with another person. At one point, I just decided to just like, I consciously decided to just like let go. Mm -hmm. And it was a very conscious effort. And I was just like, felt my consciousness like kind of letting go and freeing up and just becoming unbound by my body and by language. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard thing, but I was like, I can let go. 
and there are things to know and there are insights to have that completely transcend language. Yeah. And that, that goes back to that feeling of like deep knowing and like, what is that? And where does that yeah. come from? And, and who made me think that that was even a possibility? And like, I don't know, but these experiences are ineffable in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And naturally people who want to like live in the world who have egos and have bodies and who want to communicate ideas to other people. That's why we've developed language because it's useful for that reason. But at the same time, and we've talked about this before, it can be limiting Mm. in that it like closes it into something and you can just like, I feel like there's a tendency to rush to give things meaning. We want to know, we want to understand what did that mean? But I, I really think that sometimes there is a lot of value in completely letting go of that entirely. Yeah. And just like, there's nothing like, don't give it meaning, just experience it. Don't come back and don't put it into words. Like there's, there's this desire for me. And like, I I feel that. And sometimes I'm disappointed. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to put words to this. I don't want to reduce it to words. I don't want to say it to somebody. And it feels like it loses something by putting it into words. I'm like, it's just like taking a picture of a sunset and you're like, Oh, this is so beautiful. I'm going to take a picture of it. But the picture doesn't capture it. It doesn't capture that feeling of being in it, of looking at it. Mm. And there are no words to describe something so beautiful. sometimes, And and that can be it. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what are we to do with this then? Nothing. We're going to stop doing this yeah. podcast and we're just going to... Yeah, just leave everybody hanging. It's over. Like, there's nothing you can do. It's all shit. It's all bullshit. <laughs> Give up now. But it's it's everything. It's yeah. everything and it's nothing and there are no words. There are... Sorry. There are no words. And your experience is the most valuable thing. Yeah. And, there, and that can just be it. Yeah. I think... I have a better answer than that. <laughs> so I, I think Come right. at me. Come I think me. like, I, I, honestly, I think it is the same answer. Yeah. Um, I think that we need to accept the fact that in all things that we are dealing with, we are dealing with what are called fake frameworks. Mm-hmm. And uh, this isn't a new concept by any means. Like, I don't think this is the first person to come up with this. Well, I know it isn't. Um, but I was inspired by this uh, article on... Um, lesswrong.com which is like a philosophical website where people can post articles it just it's open like a forum type thing right mm-hmm. and uh they gave a really good example for what a fake framework actually is and so when we think of extroversion and introversion for example we often think of these people as bimodal right this um so like like what do you mean <laughs> So this means that, or I guess not the people, the groups. Okay. Right. So this means that there is a group of extroverted people and there's a group of introverted people with very little crossover. So like discrete. Discrete groups. Yeah. Okay. So if we look at them on a graph, we would see two humps, right? You have a hump that represents the distribution of extroverted people and a hump that represents the distribution of introverted people. Mm -hmm. And they don't overlap. Exactly. So two separate groups. Yeah. Right. So ocean is a model of personality where each letter is a trait of a personality that this model measures, right? And it stands for 
openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Now, this model has provided very convincing evidence, intersubjectively, that <laughs> extroversion actually follows what is called a normal distribution. In other words, there is a spectrum from very introverted to very extroverted. Clearly, there are people who are very extroverted, and there are people who are very introverted. But along that spectrum, it becomes fuzzier and fuzzier. What is really the difference between someone who is 43% extroverted and someone who is 54% extroverted? Mm -hmm. What does that even mean? The fact is that we can't practically use this in our daily life. Instead, we have to use a fake framework where we think of extroversion and introversion as bimodal. There are introverted people and there are extroverted people. And however fake this understanding may be, it is still very useful in our daily lives. Mm. Okay. So like there might not be a clear objective difference between someone 43% and someone 54% introverted or extroverted. Mm. Say that again, sorry. There's no like clear objective measurable consistent difference between somebody 43% extroverted and somebody 54% extroverted. Mm. Like it doesn't provide something useful in that way. And like, there, oh, something like you, you telling me that you're 43% introverted tells me something meaningful about how you are in comparison to somebody that's 54%. The issue is that there is something very meaningful to that. So there is something like objective in saying that there is a person who is 43% extroverted and somebody who is 54% extroverted, right? There seems to be a distribution along which people can fall, right? The point, be, the point is that you as an individual human trying to navigate life and introverted and extroversion can't tell the difference, mm -hmm. right? And so this idea isn't also encapsulated in the phrase, the map is not the territory. Our understanding is the map and reality is the territory. Mm -hmm. However advanced our map may be, it is always a fake framework we use to navigate the territory of reality. Mm -hmm. No matter what you do, everything you work with is filtered through your consciousness. If your own consciousness is an imperfect thing, which it is, you will always have an imperfect understanding of what you're working with. Your cognitive biases, cultural baggage, emotional baggage, limited knowledge, and imperfect sense organs all shape how you understand the world to the point that two people can walk away from the same experience with two different interpretations of that experience. And who's to say which interpretation is the better one. Who's to say which interpretation is more real or more helpful? However useful or helpful your understanding of a thing may be, it will always be imperfect. So if our understanding of reality is always imperfect, then we must always assume that we are operating with a fake framework. That doesn't mean that we become paralyzed into inaction. Instead, we must go out into the world and use our fake framework as if it were real, especially if that fake framework is incredibly useful and helpful. However, we must also never assume that our current understanding is anything but the imperfect thing that it is. And so it should always be open to update. Mm. Don't cling onto your framework so tightly that you cannot open yourself up to the possibility that it might be so fake so as to warrant discarding, no matter how real it may seem. Wow. 
<laughs> my mind is blown right now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Wow. It's basically just like go forth into the world, do what you do, but know just knowing that you know nothing and that you only know what you're experiencing, but yeah. understanding that that's limited and just kind of being okay with that. Mm-hmm. And as much as you can, just like be open, open to updating that. And, and yeah, and I, I feel like that is the lesson when, yeah. when we're going into psychedelic experiences and we, when we are having these insights and we're trying to interpret them and bring lessons back and integrating it, do that, do that. It's helpful. It's, it's amazing and it's good. It can mm. be very healing, but do that knowing that it's just an interpretation that it's yeah. just your experience and that maybe there is no truth or maybe there's no way to actually confirm any of this yeah. and maybe that's okay. Mm-hmm. And just having that level of awareness of it being just a framework. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So as psychonauts and psychedelic healers, we can adopt the idea of fake framework. Frameworks. Frameworks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in. Yeah. So we can adopt the idea of fake frameworks so that we can keep the cognitive flexibility necessary to navigate the, very, the often very confusing and sometimes psychologically and spiritually unpredictable revelations that psychedelics can bring. Who, what does it matter, I guess, if it's useful or helpful or whatever it is? when we understand that it is all fake, it's just a fake framework. It's just an imperfect understanding and it is guiding toward us, us toward something better. Yeah. It's just, I, yeah. And, and I think this is a really important perspective when we're talking about something that we touched on, I think it was in the last podcast where we talked about experiencing yourself as God Yeah, and how that sounds really narcissistic at times. And you can have like these grand feelings, but when you knowing how imperfect your understanding is and stuff, it's like, it's a, it's really humbling. And Mm -hmm. it's something that you, we need to keep carrying with us all the way is that like the work isn't done. Even if you have like some incredible psychedelic experience and then you come down and you're like, Oh, I'm just a human. And I actually suck. It's like, I don't know. It's you have to, how do you, how do you hold both, both sides? Like I am just a human, an imperfect human with all these imperfect frameworks, all these fake frameworks. And I don't actually know anything, Mm -hmm. but I'm also a part of the universe. And I am God in the sense that (laughs) I'm just like consciousness experiencing, I'm just the universe experiencing itself. I don't know. You know, it's like, yeah, I think there can be a tendency on the one end for some people to maybe to run away with that like God complex yeah. thing. Yeah. And it, that's where it becomes unhealthy to have these experiences and being like, I'm God. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think that can be dangerous. Yeah. So I think just having the pers- this perspective, this like yeah. fake framework, imperfect perspective is something good to carry with us Yeah. because it's just our experience. And it's just our experience. And in, in that, it's everything. And it's so valuable and important. Mm-hmm. But it's also just our experience. Exactly. It's both and. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. both and. And, and that's mm-hmm. like what I love about Ken Wilber. Um, I don't know if this is his original idea, but I, I heard it from him. Is the idea of like cleaning up, growing up, waking up, and showing up. Mm-hmm. Where cleaning up is really about cleaning up the, your shadow, cleaning up your past. 
And that work is just as important as all the others because that's the work that prevents you from, or at least helps you prevent yourself from falling into this like narcissistic interpretation of your experiencing yourself as God or waking up, whatever it is. Mm. And it, it just goes to show how complex transformation really is. That it's not as simple as just like write down affirmations until you love yourself. There's mm. like so many different dimensions and methodologies and ways and hiccups and traps that you can fall into. It's just very complex. And if we have a fake framework, if we always know that our understanding is imperfect, it's never like the final answer and we open ourselves up to update, we are less likely to fall into these absolutistic belief systems that lead to suffering for ourselves and people we love and the world itself, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the context of facilitator induced or metaphysical insights, this works really well. We have to remember that the mind is in a very different state while using psychedelics. And so we should first assume that the experiences are symbolic rather than factual. This doesn't mean that we assume they are false. We just assume that they are offering us a fake framework. It can be very useful and very fascinating, and perhaps it can even help us understand the nature of self or reality better. Just make the decision that you are operating with a fake framework so as to keep yourself open to any disconfirming evidence. So are you talking specifically about false memories? No, no, no. No? No. So just anything that comes up? Facilitator-induced or metaphysical insights, specifically. So things okay. that like change your belief system mm. or you know, realizing that the universe is made by aliens or mm. machine elves, whatever it is. You know what's, what I'm just kind of remembering? Mm -hmm. I don't even know. Um, Leo of actualized.org. Actualized.org. <laughs> I can't remember. I think this was his video on psychedelics. How psychedelics work? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was in that one. Not exactly sure. But he says something about, he talks about consciousness, like kind of along the lines of metaphysics and the, and the things we experience with our consciousness, how mm -hmm. things change and our, our regular laws break down and we experience things differently. He talks about it like it's not that that is now the truth and it's not that that itself, like seeing a spot on the wall float above the wall and turn around and stuff. It's not about like that being true and it's not about that. That in itself isn't the thing, mm -hmm. isn't the insight. Mm -hmm. The insight is just that consciousness is flexible and that it's kind yeah. of the awareness that it's your, your consciousness is this this thing that is subject to change and that we're, our normal consciousness is consciousness isn't the only one. Yeah. It's kind of just like, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I mean, I, I think, um, it, it's part of being a higher consciousness person is having the kind of like ontological and epistemological flexibility mm. to be able nice to act words. and think, thank you <laughs> to be able to act and think in a system without necessarily accepting everything the system tell you, tells you is true. Yeah. Right? You need to be able to insert yourself into a certain way of being or a certain way of thinking and be like, okay, what makes more sense? Mm -hmm. What seems to be more true given this system? But then remove yourself from that system and say, okay, that was true for that system, but how does that look from this system? And how mm -hmm. does that look from this system? Yeah. Right? Just being flexible. Exactly. And so like you get a bigger picture view of reality when you do that and when you can do that because there are a lot of problems that we have in modern society that is just a matter of people not being able to place themselves 
in a, in a different person's value system. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In personal situations and uh, in in political situations, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that like if people were able to put themselves into a different value system and talk to somebody within that value system, they would be able to help guide them to a value system that might be a little bit more conducive to peace, let's yeah. say. Right? And again, it, it's hard to say what that actually means, but... There are people who are doing that with a lot of success. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's this guy named uh, Daryl Davis who, yeah, 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 yeah he's cool. I was uh, thinking of him and then yeah, you brought it up. Uh, nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, uh, if you don't know who this, this man is, is that he, like, he's a black man who talks to members of the KKK or racists in general and has de-radicalized, like, I think over 200 people. Mm. Yeah. And so that, this is literally a guy who's willing to like, sit down with people who hate him for the color of his skin and guide them away from extremism, mm-hmm. right? And so like that is somebody who is able to put himself into a different value system at the very least enough to connect with them and mm-hmm. talk to them as a human being to a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's so powerful. That is very powerful, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know. I can't think of like the words to say this right now, but like... I mean, I'll try, but it's just like, yeah, how opposites, how someone so extreme can, through like resisting them, just creates the opposite extreme Mm -hmm. on the other end Mm -hmm. and then nobody wins. Yeah. But it just takes one person. Like that, that's just an example of the power that meeting somebody on their level can have just be like, to like just be willing to have a conversation without it's kind of like like i <laughs> i know i know chris hates this word i don't know if you hate it too but like to validate somebody in mm-hmm. in their belief system for sure when i was on acid like right here actually <laughs> in this room i was on, i brought my mattress out here um and that like that that really intense experience i had where i was home alone and did, did acid and then sean came home and then we were like talking about all of our personal relationship issues at the time mm-hmm. and like because I was on acid and I had this like removal of self completely. Okay. Like I wasn't even there anymore. And wow. I was just like experiencing Sean mm-hmm. and all of his pain. And he like opened up and he was very vulnerable. And I took all of that in. And at that point we had been in the stage of our breaking up for like a month. I think, mm-hmm. I think this was, this was August and like late August and we had broken up in late July Mm -hmm. and all the conversations we had, all the fights, all the emotions that came up throughout that. I had never just like, I had hurt him so deeply. And Mm -hmm. up until that point, I had never just like experienced his hurt. Yeah. Without, it always was filtered through like, Oh, but I feel this and I think this, and this happened to me. And like my experience, you know, it was always being filtered through my experience that I was never just like, seeing him and feeling his hurt and understanding what he was going through. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was so crazy because I realized how much I get in the way of connecting with other people. Empathizing. Yeah. And empathizing is like, Oh, but it always filters through the me, the ego. And without that, I was like, Holy fuck, this is crazy. And Mm -hmm. like, I just like felt another person Mm -hmm. completely. And there, that's another thing. There's, There's just like no words for that. Mm-hmm. even in the moment i was like i don't know what to say like yeah. i there's i can't even speak to this because all of my language is through i 
Like mm-hmm. I, and that is the self, that is the ego. And I didn't have that. So I was like, there's, I can't communicate this. And that's why ego is important because it's the only way we can communicate. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I mean, that's why we can't, th- that's why that like this God experience isn't necessarily narcissistic mm-hmm. because you were able to see like em- fully empathize with somebody because of this like God state mm-hmm. type thing. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's not narcissistic in any no way if you're losing yourself yeah how is it narcissistic because i yeah. was like what is kaylee there is no kaylee like i can't mm-hmm. even say i'm sorry right now yeah because i'm sorry is coming from a, a self well this is why um suzanne cook suzanne cook Groider's model of ego development is called like um nine levels of increasing embrace mm. because you're increasing how much of the outside world you embrace into your Mm. own being right and so more empathy more including others even people you would want to hate is sign of a greater developed ego because you're able to actually instantiate change in other people and in the world because you're you're including them in your own Mm self-concept you know and that's that's difficult to do that's difficult to do. So difficult that it's like you need to be on a psychedelic just to experience something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? Um, it's crazy. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's definitely one of the most, like, intensely moving experiences I think I've had on psychedelics. Yeah. In terms of, like, another person. Yeah. And it's just, like, it helps, <laughs> I mean, it helps uh, yeah. me glimpse what I want to do mm. for other people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That level of, like, selfless embrace to really feel somebody else and like i don't know the power that that can have on both individuals Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that is the metaphysical revelation that was the most transformative that's like exactly what we're talking here Mm -hmm. you know and so it's like how real is that experience but how helpful is that experience Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um so coming back to (laughs) The idea of fake frameworks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, when it comes to traumatic biographical events, the idea of fake frameworks gets a little messy. Mm-hmm. One of the people mentioned the Timmerman paper uh, talked about uncovering a memory of his mother trying to like smother him mm. with a pillow when he was an infant. Oh my God, that reminds me of Hereditary. Yeah. It is a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Ah. So how is he supposed to move on from that? How can he verify that? How can he possibly, how can we possibly tell someone just operate with a fake framework? It's going to be fine. It's all symbolic. It's like they can't even look at their mother without being like, did this person try to murder me when I was a fucking infant? Mm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's hard. And I don't think that there are any easy answers to that. There just, there just aren't. Whether you work with a psychotherapist or choose to do them on your own, um, First, realize that however real the memory may be, acting on the memory won't provide you any real answers. This is especially true for people working with psychedelics on their own. If you have such a memory come up, please go see a therapist. Please. Talk to somebody. Yeah. Help you integrate. Help you move forward, whatever you choose to do, in the healthiest way possible. Yeah. You know? And again, we keep or I keep coming back to the idea that like psychedelics are still very beneficial. They're still very helpful, but these things can happen. And sometimes 
they may, they may happen. These memories may come up and they might not be true. Mm-hmm. What are you to do with that? I think like the risk is worth the benefit that they have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, and that's easy for me to say as someone who's never experienced something like this. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is up to each individual to go in. But that's part of having informed consent. You need to be informed before you give consent. Yes. You know? Wow. <laughs> oh, it's so heavy. It is it's so, so heavy. heavy to think about. And it's so easy for me to sit here and talk about psychedelics. Like, I, I'm not saying it's always been like, like perfect. But I, like I said, I, I really haven't had like a bad trip. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how bad it can be. I don't know how intense it can be. Like I'm only just on my psychonaut journey very early in all of this, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a big, I don't know. There's so much benefit. And and I think I, yeah. What do you say? About uh, that, what do you, what do you say? Because, but I think, I think that's why another reason why psychedelics are so beneficial. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they are so challenging and they are so hard to integrate into our, our current frameworks and our current paradigms. But it's just like, this is part of the reason why there are so, there is so much benefit and so much healing potential with psychedelics is because mm-hmm. they kind of, they take on everything, both sides, the good mm-hmm. and the bad. Mm-hmm. And this is an important conversation to have because as they're becoming more accepted and studied and we are trying to integrate them into like the popular world, there is like a desire for a lot of advocates to focus on all the positives and talk about like mystical experiences and healing. And yeah, that's true and that's mm-hmm. good, but we need to acknowledge both sides. Yeah. And we need to be able to talk about the potential harm mm-hmm. and how we can deal with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and like we said with the somatic experiencing episode, like it's not as if our current treatments are just like perfect and fine. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of negative side effects that come with uh, different pharmaceutical medications, pharmaceutical medications. And there, there's always going to be a risk in whatever treatment you have. There's always going to be a, a chance that something could go wrong. There's always going to be a chance that somebody is going to have a horrible experience. If you're looking for a perfect reality, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, man. Yeah. Like, have you been paying attention? Yeah. Your entire life? Like, it's never going to happen. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. There's, there's no one way that is without its, I don't know. Yeah. Cons. Exactly. There are pros and cons to everything. Yes, there are. My parents used to bludgeon me with that. <laughs> out, like, really? There's always pros and cons, Will. <laughs> it's like, I know. Make a Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah Figure exactly. It out. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I think I think this really calls out the fact that our society is completely incompetent mm-hmm. when it comes to preparing people to deal with the kind of like psychological issues that that we have to deal with in real life. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like. Um, <laughs> So it's like, okay, great. You know that over 450 volcanoes, totaling 75% of Earth's volcanoes, are in the ring of fire. But you're so incapable of talking to the people you're attracted to 
that you join extremist groups online and drive a fucking van through a group of people. Great going, society. Great going. Oh, that's scary. That is scary. And these people exist. And it's like, okay, great. This person knows the ring of fucking fire. This person knows how to talk about different types of rocks, but this person doesn't oh, know how to like you know what connect I know? with somebody. Go ahead. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I actually, I don't even know if I remember it. Maybe it's, it's slipping from my memory now, but I remember like, I just, from history, high school history, I hung on to this fact. Mm -hmm. It was like, um, fuck, I don't even know. It was like Gavrilo Princip of the Black Hand was like murdered in Sarajevo, Bosnia on Vidovna Day. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, what the fuck and i just remember i was like that's the only fucking thing i took from high school like it's burned into my brain it's kind of like mitochondria oh, is the powerhouse of the cell yeah yeah yeah. like why do i know this why does this stick with me yeah and it, it's it's <laughs> it's it's really hard and i'm not gonna say that like i know all the answers i'm dealing with a fake framework but it's just like but I have anxiety and I can't sleep at night. <laughs> I'm <laughs> fucked up and yeah, I don't know yeah. what's happening. But I know this. <laughs> yep, you know that. You know that that Bosnia fact you just gave. <laughs> it's like great going. I'm really proud to say that we we've been educated by society. Thank yeah. you. Um, I don't. I'm not saying that I have all the right answers, but I, I recently read a post by a person. This was actually very fortuitous on uh, Instagram that I follow. And they were talking about how teachers aren't qualified to help children with traumatic experiences. No. Right? And I think that's absolutely true, but that's, that's the problem, right? We as a society need to choose what we want to educate our children and ourselves about. If that means swapping out the, the memorization of useless facts to get psychological skills, Meditation, other self-improvement skills, mm. rationality and logic skills, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Yeah. Then I'm all for that. Yeah. We need to be able to qualify teachers to be able to deal with traumatic experiences, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're, you're teaching our kids. Elementary school is one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Mm -hmm. the, this container that you're setting up to educate me was brutal for me. Mm -hmm. It fucked me up for a lot of years, dude. Yeah. Like, Take some responsibility for like this container that you're making for kids. Yeah. And and again, I'm okay. We all need to take responsibility for the container that we're making for our kids and ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's not them who needs to do it. It's all of us who need to do it. Yeah, and that's what we talked touched on last time in the podcast too. Is how vulnerable children are because mm -hmm. we have no idea. And it's also what we were talking about earlier about consent. It's like when you're young, you don't know anything. You no. don't consent to what is being put into your brain because mm -hmm. you don't know any better. And most of the mental health issues we see don't start until teenage years, 20s or 30s, or sometimes even later. And it's just like, it's because at that point, so much yeah. has accumulated. And now you're, you're, you're dealing with all this stuff from a point that's like, it's gone too far already. You're already, you've taken so much stress and, and ideas in that you didn't consent to. Mm -hmm. And now you're fucked up and you're like, okay, how do I deal with this? And it's, it's a process of like, now you have to go back and heal all those things that happened to you when you were a kid. And yeah. I always feel lucky that I'm 23 years old and I'm doing this work because a lot of people, it doesn't come till later. And then I feel like the later it comes when you're like, when you start 
like thinking about your life or when you decide to if, if 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 you get to the point where you're so messed up and you're like i have to heal in some way it's just the later it happens the more there is to go back mm-hmm. whereas if we could teach kids emotional skills to like recognize their own emotions and how to deal with them and like have somebody to talk to as things are coming up like processing things as they're happening mm-hmm. and bringing skills to deal with these things along the way then there's going to be less mental health issues later in life mm-hmm. Because more was dealt with yeah. along the way. Exactly. And you had the, those skills with other people, with yourself. You were more aware of your values and aware of your experience. Mm-hmm. That's invaluable. And Absolutely. Like, we, yeah. We didn't learn that. You and I, we didn't learn that through school. Like At one point, we, we decided that like I don't like the way I am. <laughs> I need to learn how to be better. Yeah, and yeah. you get into self-development, you're like, okay, I should start meditating. I should mm-hmm. start journaling. But we found these things on our own. Yeah. We had to. And and the funny thing is, is like we needed to saying, I don't like who I am and we need to get better. That becomes its own problem to fix. Mm -hmm. Like I I talked about with my integration episode, it's like letting go of that identity is something that needs to be fixed was part of that Uh self-improvement. So it's like we need to adopt the idea that we're broken just to get fixed just to start the healing process. Just to start the healing process. And even right? and in starting the healing process, that brings up its own issues too, because you're you're operating from a false, I don't know, false idea. Yeah. And and a you're fake do, and you're yeah, exactly, a fake framework. <laughs> and you're doing it yourself, and that's like the needle yeah. that you can't be the one that is broken and be the one that fixes yourself at yeah, the same yeah. time. And it's fucking hard to get help. It's it's like how many how few people actually get like therapy and have like a consistent long-term relationship with a therapist yeah it's like everybody needs that i have i have a strong belief that every single person needs a therapist or like somebody like a counselor from when they're young somebody to talk to through all stages of life that's just like outside of themselves because that's the thing even if you have good friends growing up those people are are flawed themselves and they're going through it themselves too. And they can't like Mm -hmm. give you the answers any more than you can give them the answers. And it's just, it's just really messy. Life is really messy and confusing and it's different for every single person. And we just need support and help on this emotional level. We need a listening society. Yeah. (laughs) Is that what it's called? Is that what Hanzi calls it? Yeah, that's what Hanzi calls it. <laughs> is that a spell dynamics or Hansi? Oh, yeah. uh, I have to Love bring them someone both. up. Love yeah. them both. But yeah, like he like he he made the case and I think it's it, it's he made the case how preposterous it is that he has to make the case mm-hmm. that a healthier, happier society is a more productive and successful society. Yeah. It, it's completely selfish to want other people to have good mental health. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if we spend the time to generate or to, to to educate an entire generation of people how to deal with their issues uh, that's going to cause a ripple effect that goes through decades and centuries yeah. you know what i mean and that that's like you can't put a monetary value on that because it's just so beyond stage orange capitalistic materialism yeah it's just like it's like whoa that was hansi and spiral dynamics oh my in God. One Dude, sentence. You're i'm meta systematic yeah i'm integral <laughs> i'm combining all these ideas you're a spiral <laughs> wizard <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, man, it's just like, it's so obvious mm-hmm. to me because of my value system, but it, it's just like, dude. And your level of knowledge of yeah, these things. Yeah. But I had to fight for that. 
and I yeah. shouldn't have to fight for that. No. You know what I mean? It's like mental health needs to be a human right. Yeah. It needs to be a human right. And we as psychotherapists and psychonauts, I think have an obligation to do what little we can to create the society that we want to live in. Right. Even if that's just like doing your due diligence to do the psychedelic experience properly or at least effectively, again, whatever that means, mm -hmm. whatever the fuck that means, do your due diligence, educate yourself, love yourself and yeah. go in with an open mind, fake framework and understand that there are always risks, but there are a lot of rewards, mm -hmm. you know? And, and again, I'm not going to sit here, like I said earlier, and say that I have all the answers or that I'm operating with anything other than a fake framework. But it seems clear to me that, that we need to do this, mm -hmm. right? And, and personally, I believe that psychedelics are absolutely a tool for doing that. Yeah. You know, and I if agree. we want to move forward as a society, we need all the tools for mental health that we can get. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Do the work. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Could you imagine if we, I'm just like, if we learned meditation in elementary school? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's impossible to know who we'd be today. The person I am today <laughs> wouldn't exist without meditation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. <sighs> well, it's like, and like, we don't even know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I've been meditating for a few years now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. What am I even doing? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Yeah, yeah. What is anything? Like, I don't know. It, it, there's just so much out there and there's so much trial and error. Mm -hmm. What works for you? It's always different. And yeah. it's just like, we're all just so complex, you know? And yeah. every single person is just so, just a universe in themselves. And yeah, I wrote a paper for, um, <laughs> I wrote a paper for this one class called, um, judgment and decision-making mm -hmm. and basically it was about the, the book we used was this book by daniel kahneman called thinking fast and slow mm -hmm. and it talked about like how their system two processing which is like the slow deliberative thinking and then their system one processing which is very like automatic stereotypes heuristics stuff like that mm -hmm. and i had written the point of the paper that i had written was basically like if we teach children how to meditate we're not necessarily going to give them better system twos but we're going to make them less likely to fall into bad system one. Mm. If they can just take the time to, to reflect and to stop, they can make so much better decisions. You know, it's like if, you, if you're coming across a certain news article that terrifies you and then suddenly you start acting in ways based off that article and that fear, that could cause a lot of problems for you, especially in the era of fake news where you can't really validate whether it's real or helpful you know what i mean it's yeah. like, so it's like if you're able to take a moment and stop reconnect with your body reconnect with your mind and be like okay this thing triggered fear i'm feeling fear right now it's just a feeling it's temporary it's transient i can move on now there's better decision making mm -hmm. you know it's just that level of awareness yeah that something is happening because i think that's that's one of the scariest things is that all these like evolved tendencies to to take in things and be afraid and then to like to categorize and judge and like impose your your concepts on reality and it's like it's not necessarily yeah to get past that 
mm-hmm. or to have that not exist anymore, but just to have awareness of those things. I don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, for, for real. Like, yeah. uh, awareness itself is curative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's not my original thought, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Insert citation here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, awareness itself is curative. Just being aware of the problem, like awareness is the first step to recovery. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, and meditation is all about awareness. But what's the second step? I don't know. Give up, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Become aware of how fucked you are, become overwhelmed and decide to shut it all out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's easier to just, yeah, yeah. ignorance is bliss. At least you know about Bosnia. <laughs> Good for you. Gavrilo Princip of the Black Hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add or can we wrap up? I think we can wrap up. Cool. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. I enjoyed this conversation yeah. a lot too. Thank yeah. you, Will. You're wow. welcome. Thank you for being part of it. You, wow. were, you were so nervous that it was going to be like, I'm not prepared for this, but... <laughs> I'm never going to be prepared for anything. Yeah. I just need to accept that everything is... Yeah. An illusion. Is what? <laughs> an illusion. Elovision. An illusion. An illusion. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were talking about like an Elmo vision. I was like, what? <laughs> Tickle um, me, Elmo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good ending. <laughs> On that note, it always has to be weird at the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It? Honestly, I feel like that's going to be a meme for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. Bye. Talk to you soon. <laughs>